Welcome to the Scotland's Choice podcast. Join us on the journey as we discuss the choices for the Scottish public as we prepare for the referendum. We'll talk about what we do differently to Westminster already with limited powers and what we could and would do differently with the full powers of independence. Why? Well, we want everyone to be informed, involved and hopefully inspired to look at the possibilities for Scotland because... As our country renews, we need to choose our own future before somebody else chooses it for us. I'm your host, Drew Hendry, and I'm also an MP at Westminster. In this episode, I'm talking to Alan Brown, MP, about the very different choices taken by Scotland and Westminster on energy policy and climate change. Alan Brown has represented Kilmarnock and Loudoun for the SNP since 2015, having served previously as a councillor on South Ayrshire Council. At Westminster, he is Shadow Minister for Energy and Climate Change, and he's a big Kilmarnock FC fan and, of course, a season ticket holder. Welcome, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Hey, Alan, you've been uh, ploughing uh, quite a difficult furrow uh, against the furrow against the UK government for quite a while now, particularly on issues like nuclear power. But on energy, energy and climate change, um, it's been uh, it's been quite a slog, hasn't it? It's been a slog. It's a tale of incompetence and lack of ideas, to be honest. And uh, I think nothing encamp- encapsulates that better than when you were responding to the statement uh, by the UK government minister about their white paper on uh, energy. And I think if we listen to that now, it's a good place to start our discussion. We'll listen to your response to that and, of course, the minister's answer to you and then discuss all those issues. Brian. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker, and I th- thank the Secretary for advancing his statement. Clearly welcome any, propo- any sensible proposals for transition to net zero, value for consumers, and will support policies accordingly. This, the reality is the White Paper is a year and a half late. It's much of its wish lists, and it's still got the same outdated nuclear obsession. Existing nuclear waste, £132 billion bill. Hinkley Point C, £20 billion. To add to this £150 billion, now we've got Sizeable C, £20 billion. Bradwell to follow, £20 billion. And despite market failure, they haven't given up in Wilfa, Albury and Moorside. So that's potentially another £50 billion. Small modular reactors, advanced reactors, nuclear fission. That's further blank checks. So it can't be serious about energy bills and value for money when locking us into 35-year nuclear contracts. Now compare that, Madam Deputy Speaker, to the White Paper, which has got a commitment of just £50 million to upgrade properties to EB, EPC Band C. So what cost-benefit analysis has been done in costing nuclear jobs versus renewables? What's he doing about a route to market for pumped hydro? In Scotland, the Crookin extension, the proposed Corrie Glass scheme, could be undertaken if they show the same commitment to pumped hydro as they have nuclear. Can they confirm the route to market for tidal and wave energy, as I touched on earlier, a CFD for hydrogen production? So these processes, along with carbon capture and storage, is the chance to be world-leading and create green jobs if they get a move on. But how will ensure transparency for CCS site selections? Surely Peter Head, with its hydrogen proposals and existing carbon dioxide storage licence, has to be first in the batch. And can they f- confirm it is under consideration? Because Peter Head's not shown in the map in here. Now, sadly today, BIFAB is an inter-administration. There's the Arden T site closing, which is proof of the failure to date the CFD procurement process. 
So the Secretary apologised for this and make sure that following the consultation on procurement that this is remedied for the next auction process and we get these jobs delivered in the UK. There's so much in here, Madam Deputy Speaker, Future Home Standard, Hydrogen Strategy, Heat and Buildings, Decarbonisation, Heat Pump Delivery that is going to be consulted on uh, next year onwards. How can we make sure these all come together and be delivered in time for the, the interim target for 2030. And finally, I welcome confirmation of the ETS system agreed with the devolved nations and I confirm that the carbon emission tax alternative is now dead in the water. Um, thank you, uh, Madam Deputy Speaker. Well, can I say I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that he welcomes the, the, uh, the UK ETS scheme that uh, uh, is being launched, uh, but I'll take it from his, uh, his uh, uh, comments that he's not a fan of uh, nuclear power. Uh, but uh, per- perhaps, perhaps I could explain to him that, of course, renewables are playing an increasingly large part uh, in terms of our energy mix, but it is the case that the wind doesn't always blow as, as hard as you would like and the sun doesn't always shine. What we do know is nuclear power uh, is uh, reliable, uh, we know that it is safe, and we know that it is not intermittent, and that is why it needs to be part of the energy mix. Uh, he will also know that... Uh, uh, you know, significant number of power plants are going to be coming offline, uh, and that is why we are proceeding in terms of our uh, uh, discussions on uh, Sizewell C. Um, he, he, he talked about uh, tidal wave uh, uh, and, and uh, tidal power, uh, and of course, uh, as I've, I've said in, in my, my uh, response to the Right Honourable Gentleman, uh, is that there will be an opportunity uh, through the CFD4 uh, process uh, to uh, come forward with, with projects on this. Uh, and finally, he talked about uh, CCUS. What I can tell him is that um, at, at this point, uh, we've not had made any decisions about uh, sightings of, uh, of uh, CCUS uh, plants, uh, but we will uh, be uh, providing more, much more detail on this in early 2021. Uh, and of course, then those who are interested, including uh, folks from his constituency, will have to will be able to take a look at uh, what we set out. But you've managed to pack an awful lot into the two minutes. I think for people listening, they have to understand we rarely get an opportunity to challenge the ministers, and two minutes is all you get uh, to raise a range of uh, questions. You covered an enormous uh, range there within that, talking about nuclear power, uh, carbon capture and storage, pump hydropower, uh, insulation, and much more. There was a couple of terms in there. Before I ask you about it, there's a couple of terms in there like CCS and CCUS. Um, and CFD that we should maybe just explain for people um, before we get started. Okay, so CFD is called con- is short for Contracts for Difference, and that's effectively the subsidy mechanism that allows uh, power generators to have a guaranteed price for the power they're generating. And that's important because um, it affects both the what you were talking about with nuclear and indeed for renewable. And obviously CCUS is carbon capture, utilisation and storage with there. You, you got that answer there from the UK government minister. He said that he thought you weren't a fan of nuclear power um, and uh, he, he described it as reliable and safe. What, what did you think of his answer to your, your wide-ranging question? Well, when I was listening back there, I was frustrated. I, I hate listening back to myself, so that's the first point. <laughs> Everybody but, does. But uh, yeah. it, it was quite clear that it was a, a dismissive answer from the Minister, and it was quite glib in his response as well. So, safe and reliable. Now, I wouldn't want a scaremonger, so of late, you know, nuclear power plants have been safely operated, but there's a reality. Nuclear waste 
is still an issue. We don't know how to deal with nuclear waste, and clearly I raised the the point about the legacy cost of dealing with nuclear waste. The latest estimate over £130 billion it's going to cost to deal with that, and that price has actually only went one way in recent years, and it continues to go upwards. And of course, that goes back to not managing it properly in the past. We know at Dunray, for example, where they were just throwing nuclear waste down shafts, mm-hmm. and it's been the same at other nuclear sites. So if operated properly, you can argue it's safe, albeit... Well, of course, it, uh, of course, you can argue that it's safe, but, but it's not immune to natural disasters, as we've seen in the Fukushima. Correct, uh, and that, that's yeah. exactly it. So you can argue it can be done safely, but it's, if something goes wrong, it's catastrophic. And we've seen that, obviously, Chernobyl, that, that was in terms of how the plant was operated, but we're still dealing with the legacy, the nuclear fallout from that. So you can always make the argument it can run safely, but the consequences are too severe to make it a worthwhile gamble. Indeed, and you, you were talking there not only about that, that kind of legacy, of the, and you just can't get rid of that legacy. It's, it's around for many, many generations into the future, possibly thousands of generations into the future uh, in, in terms of the waste that's left beside. But, but there's another type of waste involved there, which is the enormous financial cost uh, with it. And you were rhyming off you know, the money that uh, had been wasted by the UK government on these uh, projects and the cost to consumers as well. Yes, because that, that's the thing. So the CFD mo- uh, mechanism contracts for difference we spoke about, that goes straight on to our electricity bills. So us as electricity payers are paying that. So the Hinkley Point C nuclear project, that's a 35-year deal and it's a £92.50 strike rate. Now, that it's hard to quantify that, but if you look at the cost of offshore wind, which is less than £40 for a... Twice as much. Yeah. It's twice as much, but it's a 35-year contract for nuclear. Yeah. It's a 15-year contract for offshore wind. So if you actually do the maths, nuclear's four or five times more expensive mm-hmm. in terms of the contract you sign up for. And, and of course, you're not really getting something that's truly renewable, uh, because as we've said, you, you can't. it's not renewable, so it leaves a waste behind that you can't deal with. You, you, you were talking there about the fact that they're just writing blank checks for this, effectively. It's blank checks, I've got a, a nuclear sector deal, they're determined and they've committed um, to constructing Sizewell and as part of that deal they're then going to look at Bradwell and the, the interesting thing about Bradwell as well is China General Nuclear is going to be the lead company and have the highest stake in that operation. So talk about energy security all the time, mm-hmm. they talk about the risk from China and yet we're in bed with China, General Nuclear, to build these nuclear power stations, so it's crazy. And power's critical in terms of security, isn't it? It's it's clearly one of your most important national uh, infrastructure sets, so why you want to risk that, I I don't know. Yeah, indeed. So in terms of, that's the the, the nuclear issue in, in a kind of nutshell it's a, it's an obsessive waste of money and it's a legacy that has to be dealt with but you were also talking about the things that are being missed out um, in that white paper and of course there's no real answer still uh, even now even though they've been promised for 2021 you, you were talking about you know things like pump hydro you know if you're going to have renewable energy it's a great way to store uh, renewable energy you're talking about insulation you know what do you feel about the progress that's been made on those things? Well, in actual fact, since I raised that, in terms of 
home energy insulation. The, the Tory government's went backwards. Mm. They announced the Green Homes Grant Scheme. They committed £2 billion for it, which that in itself would we support because that, that reduces energy consumption, helps people with their bills, and it should mean barnet consequentials for Scotland to allow us to do our own thing where we already lead the way by spending four times per capita on energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. But since the launch of Green Homes Grant, it, it was too complicated. There weren't enough suppliers able um, to apply for it, and so they just pulled the money, so the Treasurer's clawed that money back. So they went from stated ambition to clone money back and effectively going backwards and sending the wrong signals out. Mm-hmm. And again, it means consumers lose uh, faith in what these schemes might mean because when they can't access it, with a failed Green Deal scheme from the UK government previously, so consumers don't trust these at all. But it's, it's not just consumers. I mean, if we listen to the, both the CBI and indeed the Committee on Climate Change, they've both said that unless the UK government get a rush to electricity, unless they invest in these renewables in a big way and carbon capture and storage. And they've acknowledged that nuclear, even if they do want to do nuclear, it's decades out in terms of getting the response there. If they don't invest in these things, they're going to miss the targets that they've promised. Absolutely, they're going to miss the targets. And bizarrely, they increased the targets ahead of COP26, which we welcome the increased targets. But you can't just set targets and not have policies in place. And I've said this consistently, that... UK government brag about their 10-point plan. The 10-point plan has some aspirational uh, figures in it, and they talk about the green jobs that can be created, but there's no policies that align to create these. So even if you look, for example, um, they want to install 600,000 heat pumps per year by 2028, so that helps us move away from relying on gas to heat our homes. But we only install about 20,000 heat pumps per year just now. So how do you get to such a scale up from 20,000 to 600,000 installs a year over a seven-year period if you don't have any government money or government policies that actually align with that? Business itself can't just magically create the the right backdrop for that because heat pumps in their cells are £10,000 capital costs mm-hmm. so consumers can't bear the brunt of that mm-hmm. government needs to intervene and So instead of wasting all this money, which it is a waste of nuclear these are the choices that could be made by Westminster, but there's there is a different approach in Scotland with the limited powers that the Scottish government's had uh, over uh, the, the environmental aspect, so it's got to be said rather than energy policy, because that's wholly reserved uh, to Westminster. There's been a different approach in Scotland, and we're looking at a just transition and doing some really meaty things. I mean, the, the climate change plan has a lot of policies, doesn't it? It's got 100 policies, and it covers so many aspects, but even the good thing with what the Scottish Government is doing is it's a completely joined-up approach. So if you look at net zero and around, we've now got a transport decarbonisation plan to decarbonise transport by 2035, consulted in a heating buildings uh, strategy. UK government's still to do that. We've published our hydrogen strategy. UK government's still to do that. And incidentally, our uh, target hydrogen production of 5 gigawatts actually matches the target of the UK government's in their 10-point plan. So already... Comparatively, we're, we're so much more ambitious than UK government. Then even you look at things like where carbon offset in terms of tree planting, we know tree planting is really good. Well, we've planted 85% of the trees 
plan they were planted in the UK in the last few years. So it's, it's incredible. The UK government's now effectively taking, incorporating our target within <laughs> their target yeah. and pretending they've got a real ambitious target, and, and they don't. And Scotland's doing the heavy lifting in that as well, particularly with, as you said, that, that, that incredible percentage of the UK tree planting that's, uh, that's been brought forward. It, the, 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 that whole um, approach has meant that you know Scotland being focused on renewable energy, on doing these things to tackle climate change from very early times... Uh, through the uh, the SNP government from 2007 onwards has meant that Scotland's now generating nearly 100% of its energy from renewable sources, very close to, to that at the moment. That's quite an achievement with one hand tied behind your back, isn't it? It's a fantastic achievement. It was a target that was initially set and said it couldn't be met, but the Scottish government were doing that well. They actually increased their target to the 100,000 renewable energy uh, Generation by 2020, only marginally missed it, 97% but was what we achieved, which is as good as hitting the target. And as you say, that's one hand tied behind our back because in 2015, the Tory government pulled the plug on onshore wind generators being able to apply for the contracts for different options. So that was at the same time they pulled the plug on the carbon capture storage uh, at Peterhead, a billion pound. Betrayal of Peterhead. Sorry, carry on. Yes, you're absolutely right. They betrayed Peterhead. And these are the things the UK government always talk about being world leaders. And they're not, it's just a phrase they use. And they could have been world leading carbon capture and storage. We could have that up and running at Peterhead. It's now pleasing to see the SSE and Equinor think they can make that plant work. But that basically has been set back years and years. And that's because of either inaction, unambitious from the UK government, or just Treasury meddling, because that's what happened with the carbon capture. Treasury just pulled the plug. As you rightly say, even if you get going now with it, what we've lost, and and this is critical years in terms of climate change, um, we've lost six, seven, eight years, maybe nine years, ten years, in terms of where we could have been um, as to where it will be, uh, and we don't even know what the scale of that is going to be. So, if a different choice had been made in the, to continue that, as was promised, uh, I think this was a big promise during the 2014 independence referendum, and then it was pulled away in 2015. If a different promise, if that promise had been kept, we could have been much further ahead. Much further ahead, and there have been made huge inroads into the just transition for the oil and gas sector, so we've been further ahead in climate change. Part the just transition would have been accelerated and importantly we'd have our own expertise, knowledge that would then be exported to other countries who are following certain carbon capture and storage so it realised a wasted opportunity that they didn't save a billion pounds by pulling that money, they've actually cost money and we could have that, that money could have been regenerated in terms of our export potential. Well, you, you talk about exports, obviously I've got an interest there being, because I cover international trade for the SNP at Westminster. But one of our big exports, is, of course, is renewable energy. That's uh, something we, we do quite a lot of. If we had more pump storage and other ways of storing the energy and, and investing in these, we'd be able to do much more. But of course, that's been in the hands of Westminster, such as the pump storage. Uh, facility you were talking about um, but of course we can export a lot more into the future this could be a really valuable asset for us if we once we get the chance to make our choice about our future and if we become independent this could be a real uh, big thing for us couldn't it? and it's a key thing about independence of the full levers of power you can make the decision 
and go for it. So, as you said, we've had one hand tied behind our back. So Westminster can meddle, chop and change options. They've forced nuclear on us, which, as I said, is four or five times the the cost of renewables. And then let's not forget the unfair grid charging system, Mm -hmm. where, at the moment, the locational charges for Scottish generators up in the north is the highest geographical connection charges anywhere in Europe. So that also makes it harder for companies in Scotland to compete with companies down in the south of England when they're bidding a competitive auction. So it's another, actually, both hands tied behind our back. It's incredible. And just finally on that point, it's actually another hidden subsidy for Hinkley Point C nuclear power station because they get paid to connect to the grid, whereas we're paying to connect to the grid. So it really is unfair all round. Well, thank you, Alan. There we have it. When it comes to energy policy, once again, it really is a tale of two governments. In Scotland, we're developing our massive renewable energy potential and harnessing the positive effects of that on climate change mitigation, planting 85% of the UK's new trees, insulating more homes per head of population. But as ever, we're held back by Westminster and Tory and Labour's costly nuclear obsession. It's clear that to best develop our energy needs and to take our world-leading climate targets even further, then we need the full powers of independence. My thanks once again to Alan Brown. You can find out more about his work at alanbrownmp.scot. If you can share this podcast, it can help others with their decision on Scotland's future. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can find new and previous episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. I'm Drew Hendry and I hope you'll join me next time on Scotland's Choice. Mm -hmm.